prayer request, any means whatsoever, again, please reach out to me or Denise, and uh, we're more, more than happy to go on your behalf to continue to pray, and uh, we'll, we can always also put it before our prayer team as well, guys. So we, we do that quite a bit. We've had quite a few things happening over the past few days, and uh, the prayer team is there for us, and it's there for each and every one of you guys. And uh, so again, just throwing that out to you here tonight. Any needs that you have, any prayer requests, please feel free to reach out to us. If you have your Bibles tonight, let's open them up to Genesis chapter 3. And that's what we're going to go back to tonight. We've read verses 1 through 6. We're going to read verses 1 through 7 real quick, have a brief prayer, and then get into our message tonight. And the Bible says in Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, uh, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die, for God doth know in the day that thou eatest thereof. Then your eyes should be opened, and ye should be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. Father, again, we ask you to bless the reading of your word tonight. Open up our hearts and our minds, dear God, and I do pray that your will would be done in each one of our lives this evening, dear God, will we glorify you. In Jesus Christ's name we ask. Amen. Amen. Guys, there's a wealth of information in those seven verses right there. There's amazing things that happens in Genesis chapter 3. And we're going to look at more than just these verses tonight. But I want to bring a thought to you this evening on the curse of the creature and the cure. You guys may probably saw the social media post that went out uh, this morning uh, introducing this sermon, bringing it to our hearts and our minds. But I want us to look at something tonight, uh, something that you may not have seen before. There's going to be some elements in this message tonight. They're going to be a little bit different than what uh, you know most people will see or know. And there's some areas that I want to get into that I'm going to have to refrain uh, from going uh, too overboard and too detailed. Otherwise, we'll be here till tomorrow. And, and uh, we just need to keep it, keep it simple this evening. We need to be where we need to be. So there's a wealth of information in these verses. And be it the information that we're going to look at in, by way of introduction uh, that we find concerning the Word of God. Just in the verses that we read here. Now guys, Genesis is the beginning. This is the beginning of all things. Uh, we understand that when this happened right here, there was two human beings on the planet, Adam and Eve. And then you had, a, you had the serpent. We know who that is. That was Satan who was cast down out of heaven. He took on the form of a serpent. We're going to look at that here a little bit later on. But I want you to see this first line that's concerning the Word of God and the importance that we need the Word of God in our life and what a difference it makes to us today. I want you to see first and foremost in verse 1, we see that there was doubt cast in the Word of God. What was the very first thing that Satan would say? What would he bring to her attention? What would he shake her up? He'd say, yea, hath God said? A little bit of doubt. Are you sure that's what he said? Did he really say that you can't eat? He did say you can eat of all the trees in the garden, didn't he? He really did say that. But you see, where, where the Lord puts a comma, a full stop, a colon, or a semicolon, Satan typically puts a period there. He puts a full stop there. He gives you half of what God had already said. Okay, he only gives you a portion of it. It says, "Yea, God said, 
And that thou mayest eat of all the trees of the garden. Well, what this calls with, with Eve, guys, wasn't so much of her falling right then and there, but this doubt in her mind, the doubt that this serpent cast before Eve caused her to dabble with the Word of God. Now, guys, every single word, every jot, every tittle is important. She dabbled with the Word of God. She goes on to say, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, Genesis chapter uh, Genesis chapter 2 and verse 17 is where God gave the commandment that thou shalt not eat of, it, uh, of this particular tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God never said anything about touching it. He never said you couldn't touch it. Now, we understand common sense. If you're not supposed to eat something, you probably ought to be touching it either, right? We understand that. But that's, again, we're going back to the first line uh, of attack, the first line of defense, the very first line of something that is coming out, and it's against the Word of God. He's causing a bit of a question. He's given a partial truth and making you doubt the validity of the Holy Scripture. So we see here that, um, that doubt is in the Word of God. There's a bit of a dabbling with the Word of God, which brings upon a simple denial of the Word of God. Satan turns to her in verse 4 and says, You shall not surely die. You're not going to die. He's lying to you. You're not going to die. You can eat of all the trees in the garden. It's all there, guys, wrapped up in a nice little bow. Very simple to see. Now, the attack of the very one thing that saves an individual soul. You say, hey, I thought the cross of Calvary saves. I thought it was the gospel that saves. That is what saves. But you're only going to know the gospel tonight by the word of God. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says, So faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So you attack the word of God, change the word of God, alter the word of God, and guess what you use? You lose the life-giving force of the eternal gospel. So not only do we see the attack of the word of God here, but we also see the methodology of Satan's attack. We see how he does this, okay? And guys, uh, I'm not going to try not to get ahead of myself, but nothing's changed, all right? In verse 6 there, read it again from the screen. It says, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave all to her husband. What's those next two words? With her. You know, we have this idea that Eve was just off by herself, and, and this and that, and, you know, Adam's over there taking care of business. No, he was right there with her, and he didn't stand up for her. Do you understand? He's the one that, she was deceived, yes, but he's the one that transgressed. He's the one that broke the law because God told him in Genesis 2 that he shouldn't be, don't, don't eat of that tree. But he didn't speak up when the serpent was beguiling his bride. Adam wasn't off doing something manly. He was doing something that he shouldn't have been doing. He didn't have a backbone to stand up for her in this day. And the Bible says that he did. Guys, nothing has changed in the methodology of Satan's attack on us today. Not one thing has changed. Not one thing has changed that has brought the curse upon the creature today. Nothing has changed. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, uh, uh, Rob and I were talking about this verse last week. But the Bible says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. Now what does that mean right there? When you tie together Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6, with 1 John chapter 2 and verse 16, we find that when Eve looked at that tree, she saw that it was what? She saw that it was good for food. That it was good for food, okay? And uh, um, the verse from last week is on there. So it's good for food. What does John say that is? That's the lust of the flesh, okay? We, we all have lust of the flesh, don't we? We get hungry. You know, we, I don't know who, yesterday somebody and I was talking about a steak. When I go by the butchers on the way home, I got me a nice tomahawk. 
All right. Mm-hmm. So I knew Denise wasn't home, and uh, I got there by myself. And Daniel was working, Bailey was gone, Nisi was gone, and I went. It was just me and the dog in the house, and I got to cook me up a nice tomahawk yesterday, about seven hundred forty some grams. And I sat around afterwards like this, uh, lust of the flesh, man, lust of the flesh. Good for food, she saw. All right. Secondly, it was, a, it was pleasant to the eyes. What does John say? The lust of the eyes. Jeremiah says in the Old Testament, mine eye affected my heart. You see. This is his methodology. What's the third thing we find here? A tree to be desired to make one wise, and that is the pride of life. All three categories of sin is found in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, and it's also found in this day when Satan stepped up and deceived Eve to partake in that fruit. His tactics are the same from the beginning, and we're not, and guys, and we know about it. That's the thing. You say, how do we know about it? Paul writes into the Corinthian church, saying in 2 Corinthians 2.11, lest Satan should get an advantage for us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. We know how he works, guys. We know what he does. We know how he works. We understand how this curse came upon the creature in our world today, and we understand the methodology of which it came in those three categories right there. All three at once. Sometimes you're going to get attacked in this world. Maybe it's just one. Maybe it's two. Maybe it's all three. But that is how Satan has prevailed to bring sin into our life today. So this isn't necessarily what I want to speak to you tonight. I wanted to bring that by way of introduction so that you understand how the curse fell upon the creature and what was the results of it. So I want to pick up in Genesis where we left off, in Genesis chapter 3. And we're going to pick up, we're going to read verses 18 through 13. If you have your Bible, read it. If you can read it from the screen, that's great. The Bible says in verse 8, And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden of the cool of the day. Now this is after the sin, okay, after they'd sown the thick leaves and tried to cover themselves up. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I, uh, and, and he said unto Adam, Where art thou? Verse 10 he says, And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And verse 11 says, And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldst not eat? And then said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave, gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is it that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. It's not an accident, guys, that, that the end of this conversation happens in, in verse 13. Number 13 in biblical numerology is the number of rebellion, and we know that. But for 13 verses, mankind has rebelled against God. They have rebelled against God in mind, in might, and in their mouth. Guys, they were first disobedient, then they had discontentment, and finally utter denial. What are they doing? How do they deny? They're blaming others. What does Adam say? The woman thou gave me. Now, let me ask you a question. You don't have to answer now. Was he blaming the woman? Was he blaming Eve? Nod your head. Yes, you yes. do agree with that. Yes. Was he? No. Who was he blaming? Himself. He's blaming God. Um, it's the woman that thou gave me. All right, okay. Think about it. Yeah. So Adam is standing here. Guys, listen. Mankind is the only part of creation that will turn and shake their fist at God and say, no, I will not do that. Guys, when God says, wind blows, the wind blows. When he says clouds rain, the rain's cloud, the, the, the clouds rain. Okay? When he says sunshine, it shines. Hey, every portion and part of God's creation owes, obey him, obeys him immediately, instantaneously. Except one. Except one. God tells us what to do. We know what to do. 
For the most part, we know what to do. We know the gifts that's been given. We've seen uh, uh, humanity's uh, history over the last 6,000 years right here wrapped up inside of this book. We know what's coming in the future. And yet we still look at God and say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to read this. I'm not going to pray. I'm not going to witness. I'm not going to give. I'm not going to do that. But God's telling us to do it. You see, beloved, the world changed within these verses. The whole world changed. The entire race created in the image of God fell from grace. They fell from glory. They faltered in gratitude. And not only did Adam and Eve's natural appearance change, their entire surroundings begin to alter its state of appearance, its actions, and even its attitude. The blue sky, which possessed a cloudless beauty, now turned dark and gray, and black clouds began to circle above. The ground, which was so comfortable to the, to the foot, consoling to the eyes, if you will, now developed a rough, stony, jagged form written surface. The animals that Adam spent that time naming one by one who played and lived together in harmony now begin to divide among prey and predator. All as sin entered in, the food chain began to develop and by one man's action an entire world turned upside down. This is what Paul said to the, uh, uh, to the Christians in Rome. He said, for none of us liveth to himself nor dieth to himself. Can I say this to you tonight, guys? That every action, word, deed, and reaction has a consequence. Some are a blessing, and some are not. See, the first thing that I want you to see this evening in our scriptures tonight is I want you to see that the curse fell on the creature this evening. And the first creature that the curse would fall on this evening would be the serpent. Would be the serpent. Now, so some of you here tonight you may be thinking, well, what does that serpent have to do with anything? It's an evidence of what reaction that happens in the world today. The Bible says, and the Lord God said to the serpent, because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy valley shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. Now, you may stop and think, why in the world would he do that? What does that have to do with anything? Because Satan's the one we know that took upon uh, the role of that serpent. He's the one that moved into that. And there's, all, there's, a, there's a huge uh, explanation to that, that that time would fail us this evening to go into it. I touched on it at the close last week when we, uh, I'd asked you about what a seraph was or a seraphim. And a seraphim is a, is a, uh, a six-winged creature in heaven. And uh, we know that to be true. We read about it in Isaiah chapter uh, 6. But before we even touch on that, guys, we know there's four beasts right around the throne. They are, cher they are cherubim. They have four wings. And if you look at the depiction of those, both from Ezekiel and Revelation, you find out that they represent every portion of God's creation. There's only one that's missing. And that's a representative to the reptilian part of creation. Which the Bible tells us that Lucifer was the anointed cherub that covereth. He was the fifth cherub that was cast out of heaven. And he's not representative. The reptilians are not representative, if you will, in heaven. Again, that's, that's free to you tonight. We'll talk about that later on. But there's a curse that went upon this serpent, guys. And it's obvious that this serpent once walked or traveled on legs or some type of appendages. We can see that. Yet now, because of being a willing vessel for Satan, it is cast to the ground to live for the rest of its life, cursing to travel upon the very dust of the earth 
as a constant reminder of its involvement in bringing the first sin and create into the world today. Not only is the serpent reminded, but we are as well. Every time we see a snake slither through a hole or laying in wait for a prey, we think of Eve in that garden, if you will. The first prey of many. But make no mistake, he was a willing vessel. He's not the only willing vessel, if you will. If you can turn quickly to Luke chapter 22, and as I was speaking, I cheated a little bit, and I got quite far ahead of you, but Luke chapter 22. In verses 3 and 4 in Luke 22, the Bible says, Then entered Satan into Judas, serving as Cariot, being of the number of the twelve. And, and he went his way, and communed with the chief priests and the captains, how he might betray him unto them. And later on, down in the chapter, verse 21 and 22, But behold, the hand of him that betrayeth me is with me on the table. And truly the Son of Man goeth as it was determined. But woe unto that man by whom he is betrayed. But Judas Iscariot was a willing vessel, no different than that serpent in the garden that day. He was a willing vessel in that night in which Jesus Christ was betrayed. He was not deceived, he was not deluded, but rather he was determined to perform the work that his master had led him to do. Many have argued that Satan did not enter into Judas until the actual event of the betrayal, and, and others say that he repented uh, uh, from simply making a mistake, and, and none of that is true. My friend, Judas was a willing vessel from day one, and Jesus Christ knew it. The Bible tells us in John chapter uh, uh, 6, verse 70, Jesus' answer said, Haven't I chosen twelve of you, and one of you is a devil? Now again, this is a nugget I was looking at this morning. I won't go into it tonight, but maybe later on we can break this down. There's something very important to that is a devil there. It doesn't say he has a devil. It doesn't say he's possessed of a devil, does it? As a matter of fact, this, this unique word right here, devil, comes from the Greek word diabolos. Diabolos is where we get the title of the name. It means slanderer. It means rejecter. It means adversary, which is the name. What's the name? Satan means. Did you know that this verse right here is the only time that the infinitive article of the a devil is used that comes from diabolos? The rest of the time it says the devil, the devil, the devil, the devil. The devil. But this one here is a little different. When you see the little d devil, it comes usually from uh, a different word that we get the word demon, the Greek word being um, um, demonios. Demonios is the Greek word for that. And that's how we get the word demon or daemon. I'm saying all that to make this point, guys. There's something unique about old Judas' chariot here. The Bible calls him the son of perdition. He's only one son of perdition. The Bible tells us there's a king called Apollyon or Abaddon in Revelation chapter 9. It's all linked together here. Judas was a willing vessel to, to betray our Lord and Savior. A willing vessel who will pay a worthy price. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 26 verse 24, the Son of Man goeth as it is written of him, but woe unto that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It had been good for that man if he had not been born. When they were looking to replace Judas, this is what Peter says in Acts chapter 1 verse 25. He says that he might take part of this ministry and apostleship from the which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And again, his own place is a king of the bottomless pit. He didn't go to the devil's hell, but he went somewhere else to wait and lie in wait. Why? Because he was a willing vessel. Judas, I'm telling you, my friend, Judas went to his own place. 
And he will resurface in the last days as the Antichrist, the son of perdition. But nevertheless, he was a willing vessel. That's our point tonight. This is the temptation to run off and, and just teach tonight. And that's not where I want to be. He was a willing vessel used by Satan to betray our Lord and Savior that the scripture may be fulfilled just as the serpent. The curse fell on the, the creature. Not only did the curse fall on the creature as in the serpent, but the curse also fell on the creature as in society. As in society. Look back at the book of Genesis with me, if you will, this evening. Again, I don't apologize. The verses aren't on the screen tonight. But in, in verse 16, listen carefully. The Bible says, And unto the woman, he says, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow, thy conception, and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be unto thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Beloved, because of this curse, a beautiful event in life is brought forth, but it's brought forth through sorrow. You say, why sorrow? Well, to the carrying mother, guys, things that men cannot experience no matter what we do. Uh, to the carrying mother, uh, many will apply this verse to the uncomfortable weeks. I remember when Denise was pregnant. Um, goodness, she was pregnant the first four weeks. It seemed like the first four years of our marriage, uh, or four years out of the first five. And, and uh and so I remember she'd get to that one point, and I worked with this, this lady who had about 19 kids, and, and she was giving me all the things that were going to happen. She'd have 19. I don't know how many she had. Probably had four, but anyway, it seemed like 19 at the time. And uh, she said, okay, she's going to get to this particular week, and man, everything's going to be uncomfortable. I said, whatever you do, just comfort her. Do, do every, whatever she said. If she says stand on your head, stand on your head, just comfort her, because she's going to get to a point where everything is just uncomfortable. And she would wallow around and move and all this and that. And everything was just uncomfortable. So some people have applied this, uh, this, uh, this uncomfortableness, if you will, uh, this sorrow to that period of time. And others have concluded that the sorrow of conception brought forth by disobedience is the suffering of woman in labor or travail, as the Bible says. And, but can I tell you what the sorrow of conception is? So I'm sorry that you had to take your son up today. And we've done it twice. We sent two of our kids across the seas, and, and it, it never gets easy. It's never easy. But the sorrow of conception is really found in Hebrews chapter uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, where it says, For it is appointed unto men and wants to die. That's the sorrow tonight. Knowing of the act that occurred in Genesis, guys, where they were meant to, to live forever and ever, glorify God, the woman's sorrow tonight is knowing that the child that develops inside her womb for nine months, who is part of her and her husband, is brought into a life one day for it to end. First Corinthians tells us, for an Adam, as an Adam, all die. That's the sorrow of sin. That's the sorrow of the curse that is upon the creature. Why? Because of sin. It's very simple tonight, because of sin. So the Bible tells us when we look at sin and what it is, Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, What's important about that right there, and I won't spend a whole lot of time on it uh, here this evening, but I want you to take into account tonight 
when we look at the wages of sin, when we begin to look at what wages of sin, your payment, everyone, if you have a job, guys, and you get paid uh, to work, you go and you serve your eight hours a day, and uh, you serve your 40 hours a week, and, and if you're getting paid bi-weekly, you get 26 pay, uh, paychecks a year, and on those 26 paychecks, your payment is for services rendered, okay? And sin is no different. For an Adam, all die, I understand that. But we find that society today has been cursed because of this sin in the garden. And the payment for that sin, the payment for society's sorrow, is passed down unto all of us today. It's a, it is a something that you shall receive. And it's passed down to the siblings, guys. To the siblings. That's the sad part. There's coming a day, guys, where even, and we're even seeing it today, that where a brother will rise against brother. Mark 13, verse 12 tells us, Now the brother shall betray uh, the brother to death. A day reminiscent of Cain and Abel. I think I mentioned this in a sermon last week about regret. That you know good and well that the day that Adam stood back and Adam saw that Cain uh, slew Abel. And the Bible says that Cain talked with Abel, his brother. And it came to pass that when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. He killed him, first murder. All because of the curse that fell upon the creature. And I know Adam had to look at that and go, my goodness, I messed up. My soul. Brought forth sorrow in society and sin. I'll tell you one other thing that the curse has fallen on tonight, and I'll hurry up tonight so we can be finished on time. The curse fell on the creature and the serpent as a willing vessel. The curse fell upon society as a woeful volunteer. But lastly, the last part of the curse in the creature, it fell upon the soil. It fell upon our soil. <clears throat> Remember, I told you a minute ago that the serpent was, um, <clears throat> was cursed to go along on the, on the ground and the dust, he was eating the dust. It's a constant reminder as he's living and going through that dust that it's the soil as well. That is cursed. It's our earth that is cursed. Genesis 3, verse 17 says, And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, uh, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth. That's future tense. Thou shalt eat of the herb of the field. And in the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and dust shalt thou shalt return. You see, beloved, the Bible's clear. The Bible's very clear. It tells us that it's cursed is the ground for thy sake. Alright? Whose sake? Adam's sake. And you know what God is saying? It's your fault that the earth is going to be messed up. It's your fault. It's you. You did this because you broke my commandment, my simple commandment. You, you have brought this curse upon the land. And he says, because of that, guys, thorns and thistles are going to be brought forth. The very ground which once was so soft to walk upon, the ground that was so comforting to the body, now produces things that will hurt, hinder, and harm those that are in society. Before the sin, never, ever, ever was there, and i got to throw this out, a sand spur. You say, what's a Sandsboro? Anybody go to Sandsboro? No. Anybody ever been to Florida before? Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, next time you go to Florida, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take your shoes off, and I want you to go out into a grassy field. And I just want you to just, you'll find one real quick like it in a hurry. It is the most 
devilish thing ever brought forth in the world today. It is a little bitty bird, and it has thorns that are sticking, but they're going in all these different directions. So there's no way you can pull it out of your body, your foot, or wherever it may fall without it hurting. I mean, excruciating pain. Before the fall, there was never a sandstorm. Before the fall, there was never a, a poisonous plant. Before the fall, there was never a rotten raspberry. Because the curse is on the soil, man is condemned to work by the sweat of his brow. No more sweet herbs and berries uh, of your choosing. Now life was to be laborious. No more satisfi- satisfaction from the sweetness of the trees and the brush. The price had to be paid and has been paid for centuries through the sweat of man's brow. Mankind. It's not only the serpent society. The curse fell on the soil, guys. I mean, look at our world today. We're looking at droughts today. The current decade of drought in the Horn of Africa has affected 18.4 million people. India's drought-prone area has increased by 57% since 1997. Drought has affected nearly two-thirds of the country from 2020 to 2022. And over the last decade, one-third of India's uh, districts have experienced more than four droughts, and the droughts have affected over 50 million people each year. Severe uh, uh, rainfall uh, deficiencies has resulted in a, uh, between December 2021 and August 2022 uh, to, to, the, to a 10% historical low. The worst in history since they've been keeping records since 1900. And yet at the same time, an intense low-pressure system brought heavy rains to Australia's east coast. On the 30th of March this year, it forced thousands to flee from their homes for the second time within weeks. Torrential downpours hit the East Coast on the 7th of April, and Sydney received nearly a month's worth of rain overnight. Thousands of people were ordered to evacuate their homes. The first three months of 2022, guys, brought a year's worth of rain to Sydney, just in the first three months. This was the Queensland's worst flooding since 2011. You say, why? Because the curse fell on the creature. We see storms in the Atlantic this year. There's already been six named storms, two of which became hurricanes. We see fires today. The, the, the Cal Fire website noted the California Statewide Fire Summary for Friday, 16th September 2022. 351,161 acres have been estimated to burn. 6,382 incidents with nine fatalities and 863 structures. That was two days ago. I don't know what the numbers are today. Why do these things happen, guys? Because the sin that entered in, the curse fell on the creature. The soil is no happier about it than we are. Romans chapter 8 verse 20 says, For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. It's, it's not just us. That seeks a reprieve. But all of creation. Why? Because of the curse. So sin caused the curse to fall on the creature. And the serpent who is a willing vessel. Society who is a wolf of volunteer. The soil as a watered venue. But because of the curse, the creature needed a cure. And that's what gave us a Savior. That's what gave us a Savior. In verse 15 of our text, going back to Genesis chapter 3. In verse 15, the Bible tells us, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman. He's speaking of the serpent, by proxy speaking unto Satan. And between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head. And thou shalt bruise his heel. You know that seed is? 
Let's see is Jesus Christ. Let's see the woman. The seed, it said, would bruise the head of the serpent. The seed of the woman uh, was pierced upon the cross of Calvary. And while Jesus Christ hung on that cross, the feet were nailed to the, to the, to the wood, the hands were nailed to the cross beam, but there was a little perch that was placed right at the heels. And the reason they did this was to allow the crucifixion to go on longer, to bring forth more pain, so that all would hear in fear. Galgotha was not a grassy knoll somewhere off in the distance, but it was right there at a main thoroughfare. Matter of fact, today in the very place where Christ was crucified, there's a, there's a bus station there. It's in a thoroughfare just outside of the old city. And what would happen is Jesus Christ was hung on that cross, his heels would rest on that perch. And you don't die of blood loss in a crucifixion, you die of asphyxiation. With the rib cage collapsing down upon the lungs, and he would push with his heels on top of that perch to get a breath. And as Jesus Christ pushed on that perch that is on that cross, his heels would be bruised. And in that death, guys, he would bruise the head of Satan. His weight, the weight of the world was upon his shoulders. And it's easy to understand, with all of the weight of sin and the wrath of God resting down upon him, while he paid for the sin of the world, that his heels would bruise. And they would bruise the head of Satan who brought forth this sin. He took upon his cross the curse which fell on the creature. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians in chapter uh, 2 Corinthians in chapter 5, it tells us, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. What does the cross do? What does the seed do for us? Well, it satisfies. It satisfies. The cross, beloved, is the only cure for the creature's sin debt. Galatians 3, verses 13 through 16 says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Curses everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessings of Abraham might come unto the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak after the manner of man, though it be, uh, be but a man's covenant, yet if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth. Or addeth thereunto. Now, to Abraham and his seed were the promise made. He saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one. And to thy seed, which is Christ. He satisfies. And lastly, my friend, he sanctifies. Jesus Christ said himself, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word. It's truth. So, beloved, according to John 14, 6, Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. According to John chapter 1, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the Word. The Word was, was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we touched with our hands, John said. So we go all the way back full circle. We go all the way back to where we started tonight. The very first attack in creation was what? It was on the Word of God. The Word of God, my friend, is what's going to save us all in this world today. The Word of God is what gives us the knowledge, the education, it gives us the the inspiration it gives us the conviction, if you will, to call out on Jesus Christ, accepting His free gift for the pardon of sin, to be eternally saved. It is the cure, my friend, of the curse that fell upon creation. It is the cure that all mankind needs. I'll close with this thought here tonight. Jesus Christ came to be baptized so that the Scriptures may be fulfilled. His six-month elder cousin, John the Baptist, is the one who baptized him there in the River Jordan. 
And as Jesus Christ would walk up amongst the throngs of the people, out of all the people, John the Baptist looked up and said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Beloved, there was a curse that fell when there was only two people living in a perfect environment. A curse that fell upon this creation that brought forth sin. It brought forth separation. It brought it forth to siblings. It brought it forth into society. It has brought it forth into the soil. 4,000 years later, the seed of the woman, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, became the cure for the creature today. And my challenge to you this evening is this. If you have not made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, if you sit here tonight in the crossroads, if you sit here tonight unsure of where you would go if you died right here, right now, I beg you, I plead with you to bow your head and simply ask Jesus Christ to save you of your sins. Ask His forgiveness, confess Him as Lord, and trust in the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior to the saving of your soul for all eternity. Whereas the Bible tells us we are sealed unto the day of redemption. Will you bow your heads tonight? Father in heaven, I thank you, Lord, for who and what you are, for all that you've done. And I pray that you take this message, Father, and that you would work your work amongst your people. And Lord, whoever may hear this that is in the, the, the closest area of need tonight, God in heaven, I pray, the Holy Spirit of God will lay conviction on their heart, their, their soul, that they will make a decision this evening that utters a consequence of eternal life. I personally want to thank you, dear God, for saving my soul, undeserving, but I thank you for it. And I ask you, dear Lord, that you would use your word to see him. Even though it's attacked every single day, the truth shall always stand strong. I pray that it will get the victory in the hearts, minds, and the souls of everyone that hears this message. We ask these things in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the everlasting Son of God. Amen. 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 I hope and pray that the preaching and teaching of the Word of God is a blessing to your heart and to your mind tonight.